أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع ذنوبنا وطبيب نفوسنا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد وعجل فرجهم وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين واللعنة الدائم على أعدائهم أجمعين من الآن إلى قيام يوم الدين For the love of our beloved Prophet and his beloved progeny, please recite a second loud salawat. اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد وعجل فرجهم For the hastening in the return of our beloved 12th Imam, a third final loud salawat. Last week we started out with Surah Al-Mursalat. We said it was the 7th, 7th Surah of the Qur'an and it consists of 50 verses. And we also said that if you take a look at the content of the Surah, you will realize very quickly that this is a Makki Surah. It is not a Surah that was revealed in Medina because there's almost no part of it that talks about the specific duties or the specific teachings or the detailed teachings of Islam. No, it talks about the belief system within Islam. It started out, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started out by swearing by certain things. We said there's a difference of opinion here. Is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking about wind or is he speaking about the angels? Because the characteristics that are mentioned in the verses, they can potentially be applied to both. But we went with the opinion of Allama Taba Tabai who says that no, these verses are referring to the different types of angels that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. And the Qur'an started out, he said, وَالْمُرْسَلَاتِ عُرْفَ And the next verse, فَالْعَاصِفَاتِ عَسْفَ وَالنَّاشِرَاتِ نَشْرَ We swear by those angels that we send continuously, one after another, they come very quickly, and they spread the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we talked about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created so many different categories of angels, many of whom we don't even know about, but they all have their own duties, they all have their own responsibilities. All of this was done to reach these points of the verses where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا تُوَعَدُونَ لَوَاقِعَ Surely what you have been promised about the day of judgment is going to take place for you. And then the verses started to explain and describe for us what this day of judgment is going to look like. فَإِذَا النُّجُومُ طُمِسَتْ When the stars go dark. وَإِذَا السَّمَاءُ فُرِجَتْ And when the heavens are split open. وَإِذَا الْجِبَالُ نُسِفَتْ and when the mountains are removed, they are leveled. When that time comes that we ask the prophets for how their ummah responded to their call. We have kept this moment for what time and what day? The day of separation, the day of judgment where good and bad are separated from one another. And then the Quran told the prophet and addressed the prophet. Ya Rasulullah, wama adraka ma yamul fasl. And how would you be able to understand what this yamul fasl is going to be like? How would you be able to understand what this day of judgment is going to be like? And this is roughly where we ended in our last session. We said that this day of judgment, which the Quran is referring to in these verses as yamul fasl, we know the day of judgment has multiple names. Each of these names refers to a different aspect of this day. Yamul Fasl refers to the idea that this day is the day where good and bad are separated from one another. The Quran says you, have, you cannot understand 
how severe this day is. You can't understand what this separation is going to be like. We mentioned last week that when the good people and the bad people, the book of deeds is placed in front of them, when the book of deeds is placed in front of them and they take a look at it, they are astonished at how detailed this book of deeds is. That's why they exclaim, they call out, لا يغادر صغيرة ولا كبيرة إلا أحصاها. This book of deeds, it contains everything that I've done. This is how precise the separation is going to be on that day. Maybe you were walking one day, you had just a good intention. You never acted upon it. Yes? You just thought to yourself, you know what, if I had the money to help out this person, I would have helped out this person. And you carry on with your life and you completely forget about that day. And you completely forget about that moment. But on the day of judgment, because it is Yawmul Fasl, because good and bad are separated from, from one another and everything is presented on that day, then all of a sudden they show you, you had a good intention here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards you for that good intention. And God forbid I did something wrong, but it was so small in my eyes, and it was so minor, and it took me only a second to do it, I completely forgot about it. And I never repented from it, and I show up on the Day of Judgment, and they hold me accountable for that wrong deed. It can go both ways, really. So this is Yawmul Fasl. This is why the verses of the Qur'an tell us, and in these verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing the Prophet. He says, وَجَاءَتْ سَكْرَةُ الْمَوْتِ بِالْحَاقَ ذَلِكَ مَا كُنْتَ مِنْهُ تَحِيدٌ He says, when we are taking the soul of the human being, there comes a moment that the Qur'an refers to it as سَكْرَةُ الْمَوْتِ Those moments where this person acts as if he is intoxicated, meaning that the difficulty of leaving this world has encompassed him, it takes over him. Okay, and then the Quran says, This is what you were trying to run away from. And then take a look at what the Quran says. They blow into the trumpet. The souls are driven to this mahshar where they all gather. Ya Rasulullah, you didn't have knowledge of this day. But now when you enter into this day, فَكَشَفْنَا عَنْكَ غِطَاءَكَ Now we have removed the veil from your eyes and your insight. فَبَصَرُكَ الْيَوْمَ حَدِيدٌ Today you see things in a very sharp manner. What does that mean? That means you actually have an understanding of what that day is going to be like. Right now we try to explain it to you, you won't understand. You have to wait and experience it. This is why the Qur'an says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الْفَصْلِ Okay. Then verse 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes to a phrase that he repeats 10 times in Suratul Mursalat. And this is part of the main theme of Suratul Mursalat. We said that day good and bad are separated from one another, but there is one group that is receiving a very harsh warning about that day. And that is a group known as Al Mukaddibin. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now says 10 times in Surah Al-Mursalat, وَيْلٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ لِلْمُكَذِّبِينَ Woe to the ones who denied our message. Woe to the ones who said that our message is a lie. That's what takdeeb means. When someone says something and you do takdeeb of them, what you're saying is that this person is a liar. In other words, you denied the message of the Prophet. وَيْلٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ لِلْمُكَذِّبِينَ And 10 times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repeats this. This is where we have to have a little bit of a discussion. Because it seems as though out of all of the different individuals that lived on earth, 
and all of the terrible deeds that they could have possibly done on earth in their lives, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is putting his finger on one group and one group in particular. And that is the group who fundamentally de- denies the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the verses of the Qur'an are very clear about one thing, brothers and sisters. It's very difficult to determine 100% if someone will end up in heaven or not. It's not, a diff- it's not an easy thing. Most of us would assume it's an easy thing. Oh, tell us, am I going to end up in heaven or not? Most of us assume it's a simple thing. When you go to the verses of the Qur'an, it's not laid out that simply. You have to put some pieces together. But there is one group that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is 100% clear on. A group that never makes it into heaven. Which group is this? The group that knowingly denies the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why Surah Al-A'raf says, verse 40, The ones who denied our, our signs, and they turned away from them with arrogance. Not because he didn't know. No, he knew the truth. Arrogantly he turned away. What happens to them? The doors of the heavens will never open up to them. And they will never enter into heaven unless you can have a camel pass through the thread of a needle, which is impossible if you think about it, yes? This is a saying they use in Arabic when they want to refer to something that's impossible. They say, yes, if you can have the camel pass through the thread of a needle, it's impossible, it can't happen. The Quran says this person will never make it into heaven unless you can have this camel pass through this thread of needle. What does that mean? That means the one who fundamentally denies the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this person, he has no way to enter into heaven. The verses of the Qur'an are clear about this. Now, how many people actually fall under this category is a separate discussion. And in fact, one can claim and argue that a very small percentage of human beings would ever fall under this category. Yes, the Fir'auns of the world, they fall under this category. The Hitlers of the world and the Yazids of the world. Yes, the Khulafa of Ben al-Abbas, for example, who used to go against our Imams. Yes, they fall under this category. But can you say a big portion of human beings fall under this category? No, I would argue that that is not the truth. But whoever does fall under this category, the Quran is making it clear, you're in serious trouble on that day. And if you think about the worst creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most evil creature that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ever created, if they ask you that question, they said, here's a question, you're going to get a prize if you answer this question. The question is this, what is the most evil or who is the most evil creature that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ever created? Evil in the sense that he decided to do evil. Your answer, of course, would be shaitan. So he's the head of all of them. You know, he's the boss of all of them. He's the one who started everything. He's the one who whispers in the ears of all of the other ones. He's the one who has his own group and his own students. Yes, that's correct. But then the question is, what did shaitan do to be considered this evil? Did shaitan steal money? Did shaitan ever murder? Did shaitan ever, for example, lie? Was he ever jealous did he miss a prayer? Did he miss a fast? Was these, were these the things that made shaitan the most evil of all time, in my words? Or was there something else at work that made shaitan the most evil 
creature or creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What did shaitan do that placed him in this situation? And if you go back to the story of shaitan and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is referenced multiple times in the verses of the Qur'an, you'll find the answer to this question. So let's, let's go back to those verses. Let's see what is it that shaitan did that made him, it put him in such a terrible position. The verses of the Qur'an say, we created the human being, and then ثُمَّ قُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُوا لِآدَمَ فَسَجَدُوا Everyone did sajda. إِلَّا إِبْلِيسَ لَمْ يَكُمْ مِنَ السَّاجِدِينَ Except for Iblis, he didn't do sajda. Huh, you might think, well, there. He was supposed to do sajda, he didn't do the sajda. This is why shaitan is the person or the entity that he is. No, that's not the answer. Because pay attention to the conversation that shaitan had with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It wasn't just the idea that he didn't do one sajda. You and I might miss some prayers at times as well. It's not that. You don't become shaitan by missing one prayer. There's something that's going on beneath the surface here that the conversation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had with shaitan starts to unveil for us. And this characteristic that shaitan had is a very dangerous characteristic that dare I say you and I could potentially have as well, God forbid. That's why we're discussing this because we have to be careful about it as well. Again, when we go through it, I'll explain how does this relate to my day-to-day -day life. It very much relates to your day-to-day -day life. What is it that shaitan said? What was the conversation that took place after he did not do sajda? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he didn't just leave it at that. You didn't do sajda? Okay, you're the most evil being I've ever created. No, that's not how it worked. That's not what happened. What happened then? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then asked him, قَالَ مَا مَنَعَكَ أَن لَا تَسْجُدَ إِذْ أَمَرْتُكَ So wait a second. Why is it that you didn't do sajda? What's going on? You're, you're the one who worshipped me all these years. Yes? What's going on? What's the reasoning behind you not doing sajda? When I ordered before you were obeying me so much, Imam Ali says, for thousands of years, shaitan was obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until it came to this point. So what, you were obeying me before. What happened? Here's the point. He said, I'm better than him. I don't care about what you have to say. I'm better than him. You created me from fire. And this is his own justification. You created for me from fire. And you created him from dirt. But at the end of the day, I'm better than him. What happened here? in the words of shaitan. What's going on here? Because these are those moments that are explaining to us why shaitan turned into the most evil creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What happened here? قَالَ فَهْبِطْ minha. Take a look at the, the next verse of the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, okay, if you're gonna you know, deal with my commands in this manner, you have to leave. قَالَ فَهْبِطْ minha. You can't be at this level. You have to go down to the lower level. You have to descend. قَالَ فَهْبِطْ مِنْهَا Why? فَمَا يَكُونُ لَكَ أَن تَتَكَبَّرَ فِيهَا This is not a place for you to be arrogant in. You want to be in my presence? The fundamental condition of it is that you can't be arrogant. Can you have other shortcomings and still make it out of hellfire? Yes, in some occasions. Hadith tells us that it happens across Different schools of thought within Islam, you will also find shared beliefs with, with, you know, in this regard. 
that there are those, for example, who go to hellfire and then they leave it. You can work with other things, but the one who has arrogance to say no to a truth that he knows to be true, this one, he, he does not qualify for anything. This one is in trouble. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told shaytan, فَمَا يَكُونُ لَكَ أَن تَتَكَبَّرَ فِيهَا He didn't say, oh, you disobeyed me once. No, that wasn't the problem. The problem was, shaytan disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he didn't even admit it. He didn't even ask for forgiveness. What's at work here? His takabbur, his arrogance. You know, many times we might ask this question. We say, why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cares so much about your belief system? He should care more about what you do. Yes? Why is it that the greatest sin in Islam is shirk? It should be, for example, stealing. It should be lying. It should be, I don't know, murder. All these are, you know, huge sins, of course. But why shirk? Because shirk, within it lies a horrible deed. What is that horrible deed? There is an arrogance that lies within shirk. There is an arrogance that stops you from accepting the truth. You accepting the truth is a deed in and of itself because you have to step on your arrogance. You have to set aside your arrogance in order to accept the truth. And if the human being is not able to do this, then the rest of his deeds, they don't hold value in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's only he, after he has this humility to accept the truth that has been presented to him. That truth being that he has a creator. That truth being that he has to obey this creator of his. Only after accepting this truth, then he can qualify for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then his deeds carry weight and value. But if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't do that first fundamental deed, وَلَا يَدْخُلُونَ الْجَنَّةَ him entering into heaven is not even a point of discussion. It's not even something that God is going to negotiate, in my words, of course. It's not even something that he's going to entertain. The ones who fundamentally deny our message, they are in trouble. This is why shaytan is who he is. Because it's not the fact that he didn't do a sajda. How many times you and I have not done a sajda? How many times you and I have forgotten to pray? How many times you and I have, God forbid, skipped a prayer? It's not that. It's the fact that he had the arrogance that after he did it, he never admitted to it. He never asked for forgiveness. His takabbur was so much that he said, no, I am who I am. You are who you are. I'm not going to accept you as my creator. I'm not going to accept you as the one who is my master, who commands me and I obey him. No, that's not how our relationship is going to work. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, listen, if you have takabbur, there's nothing I can do with you. Fahbit minha. You can't have takabbur in here. This is not a place of takabbur. This is why the hadith of the Prophet says, the one who has even the smallest amount of takabbur in his heart will never enter into heaven. This is not the takabbur. You know, we have different, layer, different layers and levels of takabbur. There are certain levels and layers of it that stop you from even admitting the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are the levels that the Prophet is speaking of. Otherwise, we all have levels of takabbur. Yes, I think I'm an important person. That might be a level of, of takabbur of mine. We're not referring to those levels. Those levels we might, all of us might have one way or another. No, at the very fundamental level, 
the level that stops me from accepting the truth that is presented to me, if I have that, the Prophet says, no, there is no place for a person who is mutakabbir in heaven. They don't match with one another. Heaven, it, it, does, it cannot welcome someone who is mutakabbir. No, he has to have a certain level of humility at least. Then yes, if he has shortcomings, maybe the shafara of the Ahlul Bayt helps him. You know, he does tawbah. Maybe he did some other good deeds that make up for these sins. In al-hasanata yudhibna sayyat and all of these discussions. But that's all after you accept the truth that is presented to you. Now let's see how this relates to our life. Now that we understand the principle itself, let's see how it relates to our lives. Recite so, salawat, please. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. The way this relates to our lives, brothers and sisters, is that this takabbur that is so dangerous, which was the fundamental problem that had shaitan leave the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever that means, because we don't know exactly what that means. Whatever this hubut means, when the Quran told, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told shaitan that you cannot be in this area anymore, you have to leave. This takabbur that got the best of shaitan and continues to get the best of him until today, how does this apply in my life? You might say, well, Shaykh, I've accepted Islam already. Ah, it's not just about the belief in Islam. This takabbur, it applies to the different truths that are presented to you. Islam is not just one truth. Islam has, fundament, has a number of different teachings. If any of these teachings I know to be true, and I fundamentally deny them. I know praying is wajib, but fundamentally I say, it doesn't matter. Not in terms of my actions, in terms of my belief system. If I know fasting is part of Islam, if I know dress code is part of Islam, if I know anything is part of Islam, but you know, fundamentally I deny it. This is also a form of takabbur. Yes, I have not denied the truth that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is my creator. But I've denied the truth that he has asked me to pray. I've denied the truth that he has asked me to fast. I've denied the truth that he has asked me, for example, to live my life based on a certain lifestyle. The different teachings of Islam, these are all truths that are presented to me. That's why scholars have discussions about a one who is about the person who leaves Islam. Is it just him saying that God doesn't exist? Or if he denies a truth that he knows to be true about the religion, will this make him leave the religion as well? The takabbur that we are speaking about, sometimes the truth that is presented to you and you should not have takabbur about it, is just the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's just the prophethood of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. Or the prophethood of the prophet. But sometimes that takabbur, it shows up when it comes to a particular teaching of Islam. So, in conclusion, I have to be careful that if there are certain areas of Islam that I struggle with practicing, that this struggle never pushes me to a point where I fundamentally deny that teaching of Islam. We talked about this a little bit in the tafsir of Surah Al-Haqqah. There is a big difference between the one who is struggling with a certain element of Islam and the one who fundamentally denies this element being part of Islam. These two individuals, though in reality they might look the same, in reality, the same, these two people, both of them are not praying. But one of them is not praying and he says, you know what, I know I should be praying. But still, I have shortcomings, I'm struggling with this, yes? 
The other one, he says, I know I should be praying. Or he doesn't pray, but he doesn't admit to the, to the fact that this is something Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from him. No, he denies it. He says, no, prayer, no, it doesn't matter. Not part of Islam. And this is something that was fundamentally there from the time of the imams. From the time of the imams, there were individuals who would come to a point, they would say, listen, if you have the right belief system, you believe in this imam, then your actions don't no longer matter. It doesn't matter if you pray, you fast, none of this stuff doesn't matter. It's about your heart. It's about the connection you have with the imam of your time and that's it. And the imams themselves would reject these individuals. And the companions of the imams would not narrate hadith from individuals who held this worldview because it's a very dangerous worldview. This takabbur is not just when it comes to accepting the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is also there when it comes to the detailed teachings of Islam. I can't sit there and say without knowledge, oh no, this is not part of Islam. No, I don't have the right to deny things in that matter when I don't have knowledge. Yes, if I speak from knowledge, if this is really the conclusion that I've reached, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, you know, he's going to forgive me. This is what I, you know, I really reached this conclusion. This was to the best of my knowledge. But without knowledge, just guessing, just assuming, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to hold me accountable to that. It's not just existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the, fund, the, the detailed teachings of the religion. Every truth that is presented to you, do you have the humility to accept it or not? This is why in Surah Al-Haqqah, we were discussing near the end of the surah, if you remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about the Prophet. He said, this Prophet of ours, who, who we love, Right? وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ You are so wonderful, your akhlaq is so great. Yes, وَكَانَ فَضْلُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكَ كَبِيرًا All of this that we say about this Prophet. But if this Prophet becomes arrogant to a point that he takes our message and he changes it, he denies that part of our message, what are we going to do? We will cut the veins of his heart. This is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws the line. Where you start to either fundamentally deny his message or deny certain elements of his message when you know that they are true. You might say, well, I didn't know this. this isn't, you know, I, I grew up, nobody told me about this element of Islam. Okay, no problem. That's, that's not what we're referring to. But without knowledge, if I open my mouth and I say, oh, this is not part of Islam, I have to be very careful there. This is why you find when maraja give their opinion, many of us look at the maraja and we say, well, why doesn't this maraja just give his opinion on this issue? Why is it taking so long to give a fatwa on this issue? Because when this maraja gives an opinion, he's going to be held accountable for it. He has to answer if he assumes something, if he just guesses something, no, he'll be held accountable for it. Many times we might be a little frustrated when I say, well, why, why doesn't this scholar give an opinion? Cryptocurrency, what's the ruling on it? I need to know the ruling on it. And you will find today many of the maraja have not given a ruling on it. Some have said it's not allowed, some have not given their ruling on it. Why? Why the hesitation? Why don't they just read a couple of books on it and that's done? Because it's for them when they give a ruling, they're held accountable for it. So if he opens his mouth, he at least within his own heart has to feel confidence that in, at least to the best of his knowledge, this is his ruling. This is the ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this issue. And if he hasn't reached this confidence, 
then he can't give you this fatwa. Yes, if you can go find someone else who has this fa has a fatwa, an opinion, no problem, you follow that person. But this marja, he says, oh, I, I don't know. Why? Because he's he has to be careful not to change the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not to assume anything about the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this applies to our life in that same manner. We can't just assume things about religion. I can't speak without knowledge about the religion. If I do so, then I'm going to be held accountable for it. Okay. This is fundamentally why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes back to this point over and over again. Because this is where he draws a red line. Once you cross this line, you go to the other side. You deny fundamentally either the whole message or certain aspects of the message that you know to be true. Then you are standing in the lines of the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are standing in the lines of shaitan. You're not a friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has some shortcomings. No, that's the one who accepts the truth. He misses a prayer. Yes? But no, when you deny things now, now you're standing in the lines of the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why you ask? Because that's exactly what made shaitan who he is today. He denied the truth that was presented to him. Recite a salawat, please. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. So the verses of the Quran say, this is the first time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Like we said, 10 times this is going to come up. Then he moves on, verse 16. These guys think that the day of judgment is not going to come up. These guys think that we're not running the show, that we're not the ones in charge of this world. Didn't they see how we wiped out certain tribes from this world? And we talked about this in tafsir of Surah Al-Haqqah. Yes? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, until certain conditions are met, He doesn't send this type of punishment on a whole tribe, on a whole nation. It's only in extreme circumstances that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends a punishment where a whole tribe or a whole nation is wiped out. Or in the verses of the Quran, it says, we remove them and we replace them with people who are better than them. Only in certain conditions. But the Quran is saying, these people know what we did to the people of Ad, to the people of Thamud, to the people of Nuh. Yes? And each one of them, we got rid of them in a different way. Each one of them, we punished in their own way. فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ أَغْرَقْنَا Some of them we drowned like the people of Fir'aun. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ أَرْسَلْنَا عَلَيْهِ حَاسِبًا And some of them we would send thunder, some storms, some earthquakes, each in their own different way. But these guys know the stories of these previous people. If you remember, Ad and Thamud, both of these tribes, the people of Hud and the people of Salih, they both lived in the Arabian Peninsula. The people of that time, they knew about these different tribes. This is what we did to the tribes who came before them. This is also what we will do to the tribes who come after them. If they fit those same conditions, our punishment is going to be there. This is what we do to the wrongdoers. The wrongdoer who continuously goes on this wrong path. This is what we do to them. This is our tradition with them. This is how we deal with them. And then the verses, 
again, you will have that phrase, وَيْلٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ لِلْمُكَذِّبِينَ As we continue with the verses, you will see, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will introduce a new batch of verses, and it will end again with, وَيْلٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ لِلْمُكَذِّبِينَ This first batch was reminding these people of the people who came before them, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed once they fit certain conditions and they continue to disobey. The next batch is going to take the human being back to the beginning of his creation. Alam min Did we not create you from, in my words, a, a filthy and dirty water, a drop of fluid, yes, that is lowly? What is the Quran trying to tell us when it says, Alam min ma'in Shouldn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if He wants to show how beautifully He created us, shouldn't He tell us that we created you in a divine manner? Isn't that what He should be telling us? Why is He telling you and me that did we not create you from a polluted and filthy and, and, and dirty uh, uh, you know, drop of fluid? Maheen, lowly. What is the Quran trying to get at here? Why is the Qur'an trying to tell us that we came from this drop of fluid that we distance ourselves from in our day-to-day -day lives? What is the Qur'an trying to hint at? Inshallah, we'll discuss that in the next session and how when you take a look at the human genome, when you take a look at our DNA, when you take a look at the origin of a human being, how magnificent the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in this little genome, in these you know, 46 chromosomes, how much information lies within these four to six chromosomes that biologists today are still astonished by and still struggle to explain. Even those of them who claim that this world doesn't have a God, still they will struggle to explain the origin of life. Where did this all come from? How does it work in such a precise and delicate manner that if you change this DNA, now the verse of the Qur'an it says ma'in maheen, but that ma'in maheen, what does it contain? It contains part of the DNA. How is it that, how delicate this DNA is, that if you change even a little bit, this is no longer a human being anymore, it's a totally different species. That's inshallah something that we will discuss in the following week with the continuation of the verses. Thank you dear brothers and sisters for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Qur'an and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is mizaninstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.